Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. In today's episode, we discuss treasury skills, international teams, and treasury recruitment with Peter De Kiewit from Treasurer Search. Peter is passionate about recruitment and chose to focus only on treasury. He mixes matchmaking with entrepreneurship, teaching, writing, moderating events, and being amazed by developments. Treasurer Search is a niche recruitment boutique with a focus on interim and permanent positions in treasury. Twelve employees worked from the Netherlands and Germany and placed hundreds of candidates. In the episode of today, expect to learn what key skills should a treasurer in 2025 have or develop. What emerging trends or developments are shaping these skills requirements? What are the technical and soft skills or areas of expertise that are becoming more important in treasury? What are the benefits of having an international treasury team? How does someone's culture impact treasury professionals in their day-to-day job? And like always, much more. Peter is honestly very impressive, very open-minded and actually quite fun to chat with. We really hope you will enjoy the episode as much as we did. If that is the case, and when you think about how you found about our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The only way we can get more and more amazing guests and get more people to learn about treasury is thanks to you. So if you enjoy what you hear and maybe learn a thing or two, please consider following the show, leaving us a review, or sharing this episode to help others discover it too. With all that being said, please welcome Peter the Kiwit. Hey, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us on the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. To begin with, we'd like to to talk about the treasurer of 2025. We'd like to dream a little bit. So what do you think uh, would be the key skills that a treasurer should have in 2025 or have or develop, actually? What's what's your take on that? Uh, well, thank you for having me, first of all. And, and thinking about 2025, I think it all starts off because I think this is for a lot of the audience how to develop themselves. I think I want to mention first that it starts with finding out what drives you. So it's not so, about, not so much about skills, gathering skills, because you can gather a lot of skills, but it makes sense to find out if you, if you are a treasury technician or if you are a, a connector, a business person or anything like that. So start with thinking, why do I want to evolve in what direction? What, what's the purpose for me in my career? And then start building up on that. And in general, what I see already over many years right now is that the, the really successful treasurers, in a sense, they go up in the org chart, become the director, become the group treasurer. If that's what you're looking for, and again, that's, that's not for all of us, then making the connection to the business comes first. It is translating your expertise about cash, risk, corporate finance into what's relevant for business. I think that is where it all starts off. That's not different for 2025 than for 2020 or 2015. I think a lot of aspects that are asked from many, um, let's say, employees right now, which are not treasury specific, 
are also relevant for treasury. Um, so yeah, you, you've, you've got your tax savvy data driven, uh, people. Yeah. Well, that's, that's not a treasury person question to ask, but it's, it's for all people coming into the labor market right now. So I think 2025, find out what, what you want and build upon that and then start developing your skills, be it technical, be it interpersonal or whatever. That's that's super interesting that you you barely touched upon the actual technical skills. Um, we quickly mentioned cash management, but we could imagine that in such a period that we are in, in 2023, July right now, uh, that you could think, okay, managing financial risk will become key, but you focus more on the interpersonal, the soft skills, actually. Why, why do you think it's that important? Well, I think a lot of the treasury population has a lot of technical skills. So you see a lot quantitative detail-oriented people, tech-savvy also quite a few. And they've, they've been in their traditional, proverbial ivory tower um, doing a good job. I think a lot of people who are, who are listening into this podcast are, are about development. And, and I think getting better technical skills won't get you the exposure you need to go up in your career. It's, 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 there's this, this equation that says the effectiveness of your advice is not only the quality, but it's also the acceptance. And I think a lot of the treasurers don't focus on the acceptance. So they're talking about with their sales colleagues about, about ethics risks or with their CFO or even their CEO. And they lose traction because their audience is simply not interested enough. They are not finding a hook to, to bring it in. And, and TMI posted a, a article last week about treasury not being sexy or making it sexy. Well, I think those people who can make treasury sexy, those are the ones who, who move forward in their careers. So you have to think about who you're working with to, to, to get ahead. And that's all about people. And that's not about tables or colors or large Excel sheets. I, I, and don't get me wrong, those are also important. They remain important, but to make the next step is 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 finding traction with your message there. It's funny because that's that's our mission statement. Well, not exactly phrased like this, but we want to make corporate treasury sexy, Peter. So we're on it. <laughs> but yeah, makes makes a lot yeah. of sense. And so, what what do you see as the emerging trends or developments that are shaping those skill requirements? Then, what what influences all this? If you you talk about skill development, I see that the, the very traditional ways of acquiring skills remain. So you go to your, your, your university and you get your degree. So that, that remains. I see a, a variation in, let's say, postgraduate skills. There is, of course, the ACT, the CTP, and the Netherlands. We've got the postgraduate at university. Those were obvious ways to get extra skills. And I think they're still relevant, but what you see with a lot of people, they go, they develop themselves over events, over tutorials, over webinars, over acquiring a lot of extra skills, because I think the, the, the also from a certain, um, to a certain degree, the, the, the standard educational institutions cannot catch up. It's for a university, it's hard to, uh, to know what's happening in 2000. 25, when they upgrade their cur curriculum every 
five years and they did so in 2023. So, so you see a kind of a blended learning uh, that is what you see from a, let's say, how to acquire these skills and going into the what kind of skills. Of course, the technology is, is quite prominent and it remains prominent. But also, I, I think there, it's what you get at the university. So the young graduates, be it economical, be it mathematical, but also the sociology people, they already come with programming skills. So the technology part is already ingrained in the, in the current education. But if you, if you are, let's say, not 25 or 35, perhaps you, you have to pick up a book or go to a course or whatever. And then I think... There used to be a focus a lot on cash management and, and pooling and TMSs and, and, and risk. There was a bit of a disc decrease. There was like companies were getting risk averse technology kicking in. Like, yeah, well, if you had called 10 banks 50 years ago, now you can use your 360T or your FXL. So there, there, there was a time that there was a decrease in, in, in risk skills development because there was no demand. Currently, that's changing again. You see your counterparty risks, you see the banks defaulting, you see the volatility in interest rates and ethics. People have to understand. So I do think that risk is becoming more important again in comparison to five or eight years ago. So that might also mean that there's a shift towards the the CFAs, the GARPs, or FRM uh, education type gets these risk aspects in again. There are some some developments there, but it's it's that's the that's the beauty of treasury. It's constantly changing and and it's hard to predict. So I think that's the fun in the field. Super interesting the way you that you said that because indeed with the current you know news, what's been going on in the in the treasury world. Banks defaulting counterparty risk. A few of our guests have mentioned that now that this is becoming more and more of a important topic. I also find interesting though that like there's like this what you mentioned about this time delay in like something that's a big problem now, and then companies to need to go out and uh, start hiring to fill up that specific aspect of treasury a bit more rigorously. Treasurers need to upskill themselves on those topics much quicker as well. Have you seen something like this perhaps similar in the past and how did it pan out? So if we're talking now that's counterparty risk, mm-hmm. with your experience in the recruiting world, what was that thing, I don't know, five years ago? What was the last time you saw this time delay happen in real life? Yeah, a good question. I think it, it, it happens constantly. So the let's say the standard educational institutes are not known for being very swift in their changes. So I can, I can mention many examples there. What I see from the recruitment industry, because I have two, let's say, two focus elements in my in my in my job. It's the recruitment side and it's the treasury side. Is let's say over the last five to eight years, there's an increase in attention in in what's it, it became a bit of a fashion thing, which I don't like that much. But agility. So I think agility is is about not knowing everything. But having the skills, the competences, the mindset, the personality to deal with changes, changing environment, uh, and and me interviewing candidates and finding this out is also listening to people and uh, telling about what went wrong. Uh, okay, I had this plan, 
we executed and it went totally pear-shaped and then we had to change and, and readjust. This was the analysis. We adjusted this way and then it worked out. That's what, what my clients and me like a lot because that's a sign that somebody can, can work with changing aspect, whereas, uh, let's say, others are, are kind of stuck in their ways. So people coming in and say, oh, I'm the guru, I'm the expert, I know everything about ethics, derivatives, uh, listen to me and I will teach you. That's not necessarily wrong, but it's wrong for many positions. And, and that's only if you, if you want a one trick pony that, that would work right. And that's also not the people who can connect very well with the business. Those are the, the broadcasting types. And, and in also from a recruit perspective, already for a very long time, we are always looking for, for ways to predict if somebody's successful. There are, let's say, measuring sticks you use to find out, will you be successful? And, and the obvious one, and not everybody will like to hear this, uh, but it's simply IQ. IQ is a very good predictor of somebody being successful. Not, not a one-on-one, -on -one, but let's say a, a 70%. So if you're smart enough and you, and you, and you did the, let's say the, you did your homework and you, and you graduated and you, you've shown that you're smart, then you can also, uh, uh, apply the concepts you learned about risk management in ethics to commodities, to interest rates, because you can go beyond and apply what's, um, uh, what's relevant there and, and apply it into a new situation. Going back to a soft skill again. Yeah, that's interesting. We, we started with a, with a hard skill question and it somehow went back at a soft skill once again, which is pretty Yeah, well, but it's funny that you said it's a soft skill. For me, it could be, and it, all, it depends on your definition. For me, the, the whole agility and the whole uh, cognitive part of somebody being also smart and analytical, for me, that's not a soft skill. It's also not something you can acquire that's either... God's gift or whoever you want to blame, but it's, 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 uh, there used to be times that I had this idealistic view, so you can make your own future if you put your mind to it, but we just have to accept that some people are more talented in certain aspects than others. And that doesn't make one better or worse than the other, but better for this one tradition or not. I just why that could trigger some people. So that's a fair answer. So focusing on like, uh, what's within your sphere of control. Are there skills that you have seen, whether those are soft or hard, uh, which trade professionals can work on and improve that yeah. do put them in better positions? And what are they? Yeah, I, I think I think uh, in 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 skills, it's if you know from yourself. Going back to the to my kickoff, if you if you know, I am the the analytical type, and the, and then let's say treasury technician. And you, and that's, that's how you are driven. I think if you want to, want to develop from that spot, I think you should study business, business concepts. How do we make our money? So let's say, take the, 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 the MBA and then really go into the books and, and go through the value chain and teach yourself how does this company operate and where do we make the money and then connect that to your cash and your access cash into your risk and your and and start structuring excellent solutions if that's how you're wired go that direction if you know i want to go up 
and I've got more the, let's say the communication people skills, and I want to develop those. I think it all starts with going out, listening to, to business leaders, uh, listen to their strategy and, and translate that in messages that will come across. So it's communication skills, but it starts all with, with the listening part. So, okay, I, I know the CEO wants to expand into that region. Then I have to talk about the topic, but also I have to think about, okay, what are the words that he is using? Is he, is he a, a profit, a upside driven person? Okay. What kind of solutions does he want to hear from me to, in, to, to improve the upside? Uh, or the CFO is, is cost cutting and does he want to me to speak in euros or does he want me to speak in action points? So, so we had one workshop one day, it was, uh, a, uh, insights driven workshop. I'm not a big fan of insights, but you know, it's the, the red and the blue and the green and the yellow personality types. And we kind of help people to find out what type they were. And, and in this audience, we had this group were 25 or 30 people. And they were predominantly blue in that typology. So that meant, you can name that fair, yeah, it's very much, you are driven by the numbers, black and white, uh, very analytical, very, very rational. A lot of CFOs are in that typology. They are red and red are circuits and they are result oriented and they want to score. So, so if you would come in as a blue person, you would have a big data sheet. You would have your Excel and your, your pie chart and your everything. And you would take your time and you have a build up to, to your, your point you want to bring across. That's the red person. The CFO would be totally bored out of his mind. So you start with the results and, and you would say, okay, I can, I, I come in and I can show you how we can sink cost. Uh, in our bank relations by one and a half million annually, uh, do I have your attention? And when he says yes, or she says yes, then you continue. So that's very much a communication skill, which is very trainable, which is almost like a, a trick that starts with, okay, how do I wrap up my message to make it digestible for this person? Very trainable. We started with all of that was um, self-awareness, right? Yeah. Is really understanding what your type is and who you are and what's your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And then from there, where do you need to play? I think that makes sense. Yeah. What I see a lot, but that's a bit of a, perhaps I mentioned it too often, but I see too many people living the ambitions of their, of the people around them. They come in and say, I want to be a group treasurer. Okay. Why do you want to be a group treasurer? Uh, is it the car? Is it the money? Is it, is it the, what challenge, what kind of challenge, or perhaps your, your, uh, your spouse said, okay, you, you are already in this job for six years. Now it's time to do something new. And then you have to think, is, is this the proper reason for me to, 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 to start a career change or should I better stay with what drives me instead of the drivers of others for me. Oh, it makes sense. And we'll put, we'll put a link in the description for the audience who doesn't know about, might not know about this, uh, personality test. So we will put a link towards that. Yeah. Um, Peter, how do, so we've talked about in general and the focus on the soft skills, which I really love because 
I think a soft skill is harder to develop than a hard one, um, but most of them could be developed right through training yeah. and, and reps. Right. So when we look at the, the treasurer's role, how does that one potentially varies across industries? If so, if not, it's like rinse and repeat, that's fine, but I believe there will be nuances. Yeah. And how does this impact the required skill sets? Have you seen differences in your experience? Yeah, well, yeah. I've seen me stepping into to recruitment in this job type is also because a lot of treasures can work in a lot of industries. So you can move relatively quickly from one industry to another, but there are big, big uh, differences. So um, for the obvious one, the non-for-profit treasurer is totally different from the profit-driven treasurer or the, the profit company. Uh, the, but that's an obvious one. But two to sh- two examples. We work for a lot of clients in the in this soft commodities industries. A lot of traders, and what you see over there is that, of course, risk and risk related to the core business is important. But also, the traders in a trading company are very prominent, and they will enter your your room as a treasurer. So you have to be able to stand up because if you don't, they will tell you how to do your job uh, because their results, which are connected to their bonuses, are also influenced by how you deal with in the financial markets. So what we see is that, that, for instance, commodity traders, we need more extroverted traders who are very much aware of ethics. And for instance, we, did a, we worked for all market leaders in the telecom industry. And there, of course, payments are very prominent because it's, it's so many people paying your, their phone bill every month. And of course, luckily, treasurers don't have to deal with every single payment, but they have to be aware of what's happening in, in a company where every month millions of payments come in and how to automate and organize the whole thing. So industries do have an impact. I wouldn't say that you can, that you can for a certain industry, of course, if you want to, it makes sense to be aware of that. Uh, but you do see that that people move slowly into one or the other direction. So it has an impact. It's funny to see that. I mean, from my understanding, it's more the differences will not that much be on the soft skill size, but more the hard ones, right? And the knowledge you need to develop around payments or risk. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you as a recruiter, um, what have you seen as being the requirements for companies when they look for their next or their group treasury or treasury professionals in general? Mm-hmm. Like if we flip the, the question. Yeah, if, if I understand you well, this is specifically what do companies look for in their next group treasure? Yeah, it, it's, it's correct. For me, that's, that's uh, I think there's even a book-wide name uh, that says what got you here won't get you there. What I see is that there are different career stages. Let's say, let's, let's, let's take three. So you come in as a young graduate and you have to be eager and you have to be smart enough, but you don't have any, any, any directly usable skills. So you have to be trainable and eager and go, go, go. And then in the mid segment, you are recruited for direct applicable skills. That's, that's also a part of the labor market where we have a lot of work. Okay, we are implementing uh, Kyriba, uh, Nomentia. Uh, we are doing a new thing in ethics. So we want somebody who has done this before because we want direct applicable skills. 
So that's that's the mid segment and the source for the next level, of course, that the director, the group treasurer, and everything related to that. So what gets you into the 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 mid segment is your experience and your skills in that field. But if you go and want to be a group treasurer, you should be aware that that your exposure and your the expectation are different. So you are expected to lead a team and inspire a team and to staff a team. And you have to be able to translate this CFO says, okay, we we are going to acquire this company. Okay, what does it mean? Uh, you have to think about the more strategic part. And what you very often see is is the, the, the traditional, the best sales guy becomes sales director. And then you lose your best sales guy and you get a dreadful people manager back. And that's still also what's happening in treasury. So, so your best technical treasurer becomes the boss and he, he scares away all people and he cannot communicate with the CEO. So, so what gets you there at the, at the next level is not anymore the technical skills because you've proven that you've got the technical skills. You, you open the book, you've got the proper IQ, you know the solutions. Now you have to show that you can inspire, analyze the business as a whole, well, be prominent and responsible for a whole team. And that's also where you are in a mid-career stage. Your career will be managed to a certain extent. So your boss will tell you, okay, let's, let's have a annual review. What shall we do with your education? What do you want? What do you like? And if you are a good treasurer, your CFO will say, hey, your career advancement is your problem. So if you want somebody, you come and claim it and you convince me, but you get the big bucks. So you are expected to take the own responsibility for your own team, your own career. So if you are at a certain level, you have to act uh, the role. So I think for people who want to move up to group treasure, it's a bit of a mental shift. It's taking taking responsibility. So you don't get a group treasurer role, you go out and get it. Uh, you go out and get it. <laughs> you claim it. Mm. And what would be your, coming back to one of the things you said earlier, what would be your advice for those people who might be extremely technical, very good at their job? I mean, naturally you get promoted because that's a bit how the system and the companies work. You just, if you stay long enough, quote unquote, and if you prove technical efficiency, eventually you climb the corporate ladder uh, where it's not always the right choice for the company because as you said, some people might be outstanding yeah. at selling, but when they get a leadership role, it's uh, all of a sudden much of a different ball game. But so what's your recommendation for those people who are extremely technical, who want to evolve in their career because eventually they, they don't want to stay there mm -hmm. their whole life, right? So what's the right approach when you are in those shoes? Well, uh, first about your last quick assumption, mm -hmm. there are people who want to stay in their role forever. I used to have a boss who would discuss, who mentioned the, the ambition of a dentist. If you study dentistry, you are 26 and you know what you will do until 67 or 70 or whatever. And the current world says, okay, you have to move up. Well, first start with, it's, it's not a default to go up or out or whatever. If it, it's your choosing, but, but if you want to go up and you want to change and make the next step, 
I think it's very, it makes sense if you're, for instance, extremely driven in and, and technical treasurer in, I don't know, in ethics, go to the company with the biggest ethics exposures, be it the banks, be it the trading companies, be it the extreme, the, the, the most international ones. And even then you can, you can perhaps hit the ceiling. Well, there's something called the uh, Peter principle. I don't know if you know it, but that's, that, that's a theory that says that you always uh, in your career go up until you went too far and then you will bounce back because you hit your, hit your head and, and you, you didn't do well there. If you can prevent it, it would be nice because it's not always nice to hit your head. And, and at one stage in your career, if you say, okay, there's no better place in the world for me, uh, given my expertise, you can perhaps stay in your job and diversify. So I know of people who are the best in, in, in the trade finance, who are also teachers, work at universities or do a lot of speaking events or write books or anything. Um, you can be the global expert or the national expert in one, in one field, and that can also already be enough. But I think it starts with the acceptance of, okay, I know this is what drives me. What are the consequences of this? Because this is all not rocket science. Everybody can think of this and the, and the effects of that. But, but I think analyzing and understanding is not the hard part. It's, it's the acceptance. It's accepting that, that there's somebody who's a junior who's now, who will be next to you in three years and will be your boss in five years. Some egos cannot handle that, but yeah, well. Peter, so I've learned most about treasury. You don't really get treasury departments in companies until they reach a certain size, right? Before that, treasury can typically be managed by the finance functions. A treasury department is typically only there when you're a company that has some complexity to their treasury that requires that, which typically would branch internationally, which means that you deal with lots of different cultures, lots of different nationalities. What kind of challenges does that bring? Because, I mean, being a recruiter in the treasury space specifically means that you're almost maybe not exclusively, but most of the places that you're placing and most of the people you're seeing going into roles and out of roles are in that multicultural, multinational environment. Yeah. And how does that make building of treasury teams different to different uh, like accounting teams, for example? And how does the yeah. cultural aspect play in that? I think this topic, I, I like that you touch upon this one. I think it, doesn't get the attention it deserves. Perhaps it's it's a it's a timing aspect, but in, indeed by default, treasury is international. And if you compare, for instance, with accounting, accounting has so many more people on average, so they don't feel the impact of the international as much as the treasury team, which is very often way smaller, and the activities are also very often cross border, and. I see it doesn't get the attention and sometimes that leads to frustration. And sometimes it's just, there are other topics that dominate or people leave. So for instance, to make it more specific and tangible, I organized a round table session for European treasurers working for Japanese headquarters. And that was, that was very, very interesting. Because the whole approach to doing business is so different from a Japanese company towards a European company or an, uh, specifically Anglo-Saxon company. So what kind of blew me away the first time I heard it, I was talking to a Japanese 
company and I, and they were based in the Netherlands. So I said, well, I, I, I assume you are also here because for fiscal aspects and fiscal optimization, because, hey, that's the reality in, in corporate treasury. And this, this Japanese man said, we, that's totally not the case because we consider it an honor to pay taxes. And I really had to think an honor to pay taxes. So his mindset was, we want to contribute to a society. We want to, we want, and, and, and that's so very different from what our mindset is towards business that I really had to get my head around it. And, and also what you, what you, for instance, saw with the people in this round table, it said, okay, we went in and we saw tons of opportunity to, for instance, sink cost because these Japanese banks, they have high fees. So they build a, a business case and they can cut costs in half. And then they present to their, to their bosses in Japan and they hear absolutely nothing. And they present again, and they present again, and then they're frustrated. But the mindset in, in Japan, it's, it's the, the whole concept of keeping face is like, well, Chinese or Japanese to Dutch people, for instance, the Japanese bosses don't want to, want to tell their, their employees that this plan will not fly because their relationship with their banks is already there for dozens or hundreds of years. And they will not change the relationship. So this plan will not be applied. But it, it's not told to the, to the European people. That, of course, is, is one of many examples where, where things can be very, well, let's say at least interesting. And I think this, this all, if you want to tackle it or you want to do with it, it's, it's, it all starts with awareness. Yeah. And we, and we Dutch, I'm Dutch are known to be rude, loud, direct, and everything. And I think we totally just so. But I see a, a lot of the fellow Dutch people. Uh, well, to give another example, I, had, I, I dealt a lot with Romania. And there were a lot of smart Romanian people in the room and Dutch people. And what you heard was only Dutch people. And then after a while, in an email, it turned out that the Romanian people had the best solution. So what the Dutch people would say is those Romanian people should speak up. That was the solution of Dutch people. But what they didn't think, um, we Dutch people perhaps we should shut up more and listen and give them the time to speak up and, and tell what they got to bring. And I think there's a, there's a, a wealth of things that we can get there and, and we could be so much better in, in, in treasury and other fields, but it's very much untapped. How do treasury professionals proactively avoid such situations, Peter? Like self-awareness, I understand self-awareness is a big thing, but it's hard to be self-aware. Like I've worked with Dutch people. I've also worked with Japanese people. I tell you, the Dutch people don't realize they're being loud and, and the things just, just out of this, just naturally how they're raised and who they are. Uh, they just don't realize it, but it's hard to be self-aware like that. Yeah, uh, especially in business context, especially when you have a specific problem in front of you, especially when you're a problem-solving type, to to try and want to find the best solution. And you work with your peers in that culture for so much, you're used to people just chipping in. Like, have you seen people just do it very, very well? And have you seen people start very poor and develop the skill to be able to handle that very well? I'm, I think, more interested in that second one. That's a good question. 
I'm pretty sure that tomorrow I have the right person for you right now. <laughs> I had a few examples there and, and don't get me wrong, no research here and no preparation. I see a lot of women doing very well here. I don't, I don't suggest, well, I don't claim a correlation, but all the examples that pop up are, are women there. And I do see that in our home market, which is the Netherlands, that there are quite a few, for instance, people from, again, Romania or Eastern European people stepping up. They land, they do well, they keep their eyes and ears open, and they take the best of all worlds and then advance relatively quickly. And that could be also because they bring, let's say, the work ethics, their, how they were raised, long hours, uh, and, 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 and blend them into the, let's say, more prominent communication skills. Uh, and those two combines uh, lead to a situation that they uh, pass their, their local peers. Because, and, and this is also totally cliche, but, but from, from, let's say, statistically, there are, let's say, from a working attitude, a lot of the millennials from Western Europe are, don't spend as many hours as, let's say, the Indian, Romanian, Chinese, Japanese. And, and that, this, I say, totally without any value. So the one is not better than the other. But hey, it makes total sense. If you work more hours, you get more done. And that's visible. Makes lots of sense. Yeah. So that will be that will be focusing on maybe the, the challenges and potential difficulties of having inherently such a structure, right? Of international treasury teams. What would be the benefits then? What what do you see as being the driving force of such structure and cultural differences? Well, uh, before we we talked about the connection between the business and treasury, and I think saying I think treasury should should mirror, guide, support business. It's a support function, and I think if you, if you are if you are aware of what's happening in the business anywhere in the world, you will be a better treasurer for it. And if you if you at the same time support your Brazilian colleagues, as well as your Indian, as well as your Greek colleagues, and you are somehow aware of what this different in doing business means, then you will be a better treasurer for it. And also I think in, in, well, you know, about banks, banks in various countries operate in different ways. You, you negotiate it in different, different way and, and, and there's no one way, which is the best. So the local way is, 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 is best for that country. So, so you should listen and act upon that. So I think that's, that's the, the biggest upside. At the same time, you have to be true to yourself and your own company culture, because also I think, especially in, in current day and age, ethics and morals around the world are not the same. And it, and that's, that's a good, that's. I think you can fill a whole extra podcast about that. So let's not go in that direction, but how people operate in Russia or in the Middle East or in the UK or in Japan. Yeah. Well, 
that that's an interesting topic topic extra on top of that absolutely enough for a complete episode okay. um and so what would be the so we we've talked a lot about skills right what what would be the specific skills that are important for working in or leading actually an international treasury team so i think you mentioned self awareness that is coming back quite often like reflection be, being able to mm-hmm. show yourself and evolve based on that yeah you the way you talk about it i feel listening and more precisely active listening is key because yeah. of course you want to well stand up for yourself and back to the group treasure example that want to evolve be able to advocate for your own growth and evolution but listening is a key part what else is out there that is necessary to work in the inter- international treasury team Well, what you mentioned or what you summarized is already quite a bit and quite a challenge, I think, for a lot of uh, people. And I think the natural curiosity, constantly know what's what's happening, listen to podcasts like these, reading. And I think that's hard. I, I see for myself, and, and perhaps you recognize this, if, if you have a job and you have a lot to do, and then you also want to follow the news and you want to follow what's relevant in treasury, And it's, it's various countries. And in my case, it's treasury and recruitment. And in your case, it's other fields. So it's also digesting vast amounts of information and know what's important and relevant and what's not. And also how, the, how this change changes. So really switching off every census for, for as of, let's say, 5, 5.30 in the evening and start again. 8.39 the next day. I, I think that that's impossible if you if you want to move forward. But I think that also, that, that connects to curiosity. Inquisitives, being inquisitive. Yeah, and if it's curiosity, it's also for your own benefit. You see it less as work potentially, right? So this notion of time becomes a bit more blurry. Yeah, and also not very, uh, how do you say, think beyond the obvious, no, no, know what's happening, not only read all the treasury magazines, but also pick up a newspaper and know about other stuff. Yeah. 100% makes lots of sense. Peter, obviously this conversation makes me think about a, a hot topic, even though that's a topic that has been going on for a few years now, but diversity and inclusion. Do you see as a recruiter, as this being more and more of a requirement from your clients and maybe to go a bit beyond just that question because i suspect what the answer is how do you have that include that into your research and what are the clear benefits of it if any i suspect there is but mm-hmm. uh, i see with diversity that it's partly very sincere and very relevant and and successful It's partly greenwashing, but hey, that's, that's well, or variational greenwashing. Um, I see quite a few of my clients who are very active in a sense, like they said, okay, we want more women present female candidates, period. And also choose the, the female candidates. Not even the qualities are more or less the same. So that's, 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 that's a tricky part because we all know the discussion there. Do you want? That. Do you want to do positive discrimination? We have one client who is demanding anonymous CVs which and, and, and match reports, which is not easy. And, and so if you want to take out gender, age, 
nationality, what's left in there. There's quite a few, quite a bit taken out of the HCV. But I must say that the, the results are very good, very objective, good matches there. So that's what, what I see. So there's proactive productivity goes from clients with those companies who, who have this diversity brought into their companies. I see also uh, more stability in the, in the team and also whole other topics being brought up, which in my perception are pan out very well. So I think in the aspects we, we mentioned before, let's say com- connection to, to the business, uh, stability, skills level development, um, diversity in bringing in people from all over the world, focusing on gender, um, uh, brings new topics that make treasury teams better and more stable. Did I do research? No. Can I mention the same examples? Yes. And also in our own team, we see we have quite a diverse team, a male, female, Syrian, German, Bulgarian, Dutch. Um, it, I think it makes a better, smarter team and it's also more fun, but it could, my, uh, it could be my personal preference there. No, indeed. I think it's something that's come up quite a few times as well in previous conversations and also in, I think, stuff that Kim and I have seen in our own personal working lives as well. Diversity of opinion, especially makes makes always for better solutions right so and uh, diversity of opinion can often come from diversity of experiences so yeah definitely uh something so that's a nice nice link into what we wanted to get to next which was we want you peter to speak to the hiring managers side as well so i think you've spoken a lot to the recruitees let's say the people yeah, yeah. want to get mm-hmm. recruited into a treasury rules. but if i'm someone inside a treasury department that needs to go about filling up my treasury department i have specific needs. Maybe I'm particularly worried about counterparty risk at the moment. And that's something that I feel like I need to build out a little bit more, but speak more generally, what's the right approach that treasury professionals need to apply when they get to recruiting? Is it different for treasury versus other functions, for example, or is it quite common across? Partly different. I think the, the big difference with, in comparison to other finance functions, for instance, is that treasury is, is too small to have a lot of standardized ways. So if you recruit in, in accounting or control or IT, there's so much standardization in education and career paths. It's all, it's all done. And, and we all know that org charts for treasury teams in various companies are very different. So even if the companies are totally similar, they can have totally different structured treasury teams. And of course, only a very few treasury is a conscious career choice. So that's, that's a big, big difference. So that means that if you, if you are recruiting for a graduate, it's much more about uh, finding the right personality and look beyond the standard skills because somebody doesn't come in with cash management skills because that is not taught at the university. Where you go next steps, then it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, there are a lot of similarities. So if you, if you are recruiting for a meteor, I think in general, what I observe right now, even more than in the past, is that taking ownership, responsibility for the whole recruitment process is key. And I see for a lot of hiring managers, as we call them, so senior treasurers, treasury managers, hiring new people into their team, uh, a lot of hiring managers think they can delegate the ownership of finding a new staff member to a internal recruiter. In my perception, that's not a smart choice because this internal recruiter does not feel your pain. 
he does not feel you and your, your team members sitting in the evening because there's an empty chair in your team. This internal recruiter has 25 other vacancies and yours is one of them. So taking ownership, thinking about what's necessary in my team and then act upon it, that's in my perception, very much underappreciated. Uh, and it's, it's, it's also, and that's totally to my liking, don't get me wrong, for a lot of hiring managers, recruiting staff is a chore. It's a task they do not like. They do not like writing texts about who they want. They do not like to advertise screen CVs, doing interviews. And that's great because that, as a treasury recruiter, keeps us alive. But you cannot walk away from your responsibilities. So I think that's the same in, in for any any hiring manager out there. Yeah. I was going to say an internal recruiter, though, would have a much better grasp over, for example, company culture, right? And if someone that they're looking towards off the bat is someone that would fit the company culture, mm -hmm. their background, their experience or whatnot. I guess there's always a pro and con to each thing, right? Yeah, yeah. No, but but don't get me wrong. I, I do. I don't, I don't want to put internal recruiters in offside position. I think they have their value but you cannot 100% delegate to them. So I think the treasurer should also know the company culture, but it's totally fine if, if the hiring manager delegates, but then don't drop the ball. Keep, be in the process, uh, be on top of the process. Also, because a lot of the internal recruiters are not able to screen CVs because um, they don't understand treasury. W what's an RCF? What's cash pooling? What, what does TNS stand for? That, that, that's, it's too hard to teach an internal recruiter the, the treasury lingo. So you cannot step away from the whole process. And it happened more, more often than once that we are, as a, an agency, included in a search where the company tried themselves or through another agency. They were not successful. And at the end of the day, we placed a candidate that already applied before because the internal recruiter was not able to understand the CV, rejected the candidate, and then we reintroduced the candidate and the candidate was placed. That's for me an example that the hiring manager stepped away too far away from the process. And that's a shame for them, not for us, but hey. No, it makes, makes a lot of sense. I guess indeed, I, there's this indeed certain skills. It's a good point about the treasury lingo and because treasury is a little bit more niche. I mean, that's why we started Corporate Treasury 101 hey, yeah. uh, to begin with, was to, to be able to break down that lingo for, for everyone involved. We've talked a lot about soft skills being super important. Mm -hmm. I understand that. I also understand that's definitely the case because of what you just mentioned there as well, which is that there's no standardized path into treasury, right? people coming from all over things. So a lot of the time you can't say, okay, I want someone that studied this degree, that did this job, that did that, because yeah, no, that's a unicorn uh, if you're ever going to mm -hmm. find it. Plus that's not going to warrant success uh, in treasury, right? But are there any like qualifications or, or hard backgrounds or hard um, things that people, hiring managers should look out for? Uh, I got treasury managers in in yeah. broad sense of the thing maybe there's a lot of certifications out there for example is that treasury qualifications are always good it's like also if people say i am at an academic level but i didn't graduate there you have a question mark you know okay it's it's nice of you to say but 
let me test, let me assess because I don't, I don't believe you based upon what you say there. Whereas if somebody graduated and he has the diploma or she has the diploma, then you can assume the level is there. And that's the same for treasury. So treasury qualifications, great. And perhaps we steer into a situation that they will be standardized and you should have them. But that's not the situation we're currently at. It's only like 10 or 15% as, an, as, a, as a formal qualification there. So qualifications are great, but they are not, if you've got them, they are not the ticket to the top. They are not the guarantee. And also if you hire people, if they've got the qualification, that's great. It makes things easier, but you should not ignore the rest of the candidates who are also in the, in the, in the funnel. And of course, there are only a few formal that are very recognized. So you've got for the US, you've got the CTP for continental Europe or the world, you've got your ACT modules. In the Netherlands, you've got your Register Treasure. In Germany, you've got your Verband Deutsche Treasure, VDT, who have some qualifications there. And, and they are in similar size and they all have value. And that's if, and then if you, if you also have, for instance, like a CFA or, or a FRM GARP, it's, it's all very, very valuable. And perhaps we will get to a situation where uh, they will be at the same level as the CPA and the CMA titles in, in finance and control. But that's not that we've got a long way to go to get there. So are there any hard the, skills you would definitely think that you have to have? Sorry. <laughs> Well, from hard skills, if somebody is, wants to invest in the first, I would say Excel. Excel, the most, the most used PMS out there. <laughs> so I think if, if, you, if you lack Excel skills, start over there. Because I, I think in all treasury departments, Excel skills are highly appreciated. And then perhaps some, some CBA on top of that, then you're the king very often. So um, that would be hard skills. Uh, that, that's what, where it starts. And I think if you, if you go next level, then it, it's all about understanding what's happening under the hood. Because, uh, for instance, there used to be times that, that, you, that you had to know about specific TMSs. Oh, you should know about Kariba or Bellin or whatever. Right now, we are at the level that people say, okay, we understand what a TMS more or less does. And if you implemented one or you used one, if you, if you see one to a certain extent, you've seen them all. Do you see requirements around accounting? It's something I've always wondered. Like, are any accounting skills of any sort required? For instance, one of the main functions of the treasurer would be to hedge, right? Financial risk, which gives the need to do hedge accounting. Is any form or sort of accounting training background, you mentioned the CPA earlier, sometimes necessary for a treasury role, or that's not something you see that much? It's, it's always appreciated and only in 10 to 15% of the assignments we have, it's, it's a must, uh, especially for the formal treasury accountant. And what you see over there, very often at least, if they are not well paid, it's very often a formal requirement that is not really necessary. So they say, oh, it should be an, an IS 39 or an IFRS 16 or whatever. And then in real life, it's not that necessary or it's high, high level. And then you've got people who are making already 130,000 K with five or six years experience because they've got a very complex book full stuffed with derivatives. And that very much connects to also what we started this, this podcast with. 
I see so many people who are forced into treasury accounting, hating it and not being able to follow up on it and, and, and spend 50, 60% of their time in treasury accounting because it's easy to hate job. You can force yourself into it and make a lot of money, but I think that's, that's not sustainable. It's a painful exercise. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think you know best the three of us. Hey, about a small idea. Um, uh, one last question, sorry, Peter, around this recruitment aspects and how to retain talents. Can you share some best practices around attracting to begin with and then retaining top talents in treasury? I will not mention any names, but I see the companies where banks, where, where, where teams are managed well, uh, where they are able to retain talent, bring in the proper talent, bring them forward. It's the place where modern labor market approach is applied. And for me, that's very much operating at same eye level. That's a, let's say a mature communication between employee and boss, uh, about what's necessary for this team. Where do we want to go as a team? Where do you want to go as a person? But also how you, do you want to be rewarded? What's important in your life? Are you focusing on your family? Are you focusing on your career progression, on your on money aspects? And then together find the same common ground where you can move forward. And on the flip side, where do I see where things do not work very well? That's the company, the more traditional approach where a potential boss says, well, we have great news. We decided that you can work with us. And uh, you shut up, we tell you what, what you will earn, and then you sign and then you start working for us because that's not how it works anymore. It's, 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 it's meeting at, at the same eye level and having mature dialogues. So um, that's, that's what I see. And, and as an example, I think it's in the news so, and, and already for a longer period of time, but for instance, uh, Nike worldwide, I think even globally, do not keep track or administra administration on vacation days. If you work in a team over there, you've got your responsibility. You have to take care your job is done. And if you want to go on vacation, you should. And of course, people should know you do, but we don't count the days you're on vacation. Mm. I must say I'm, I'm 53, so that's kind of quite a threshold for me. But it's a sign that you treat your staff responsible and, 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 and you expect from them to show responsible behavior. Wow. Do you, Peter, do you know if uh, Nike is recruiting in treasury by any chance? Do you have any insight on it? No, that makes a lot of sense. And I like the way you, you bring it. It is, it's not one size fits all, right? It's not to promise nope. you're going to grow or you're going to have a work-life balance. It's more about the communication you have with your employees. Say, okay, what do you want? And let's thrive to go that direction. Let's yeah. thrive, sorry, to go in that direction. Yeah. And it also, that also connects to. Uh, the current tightness in the labor market in accepting both 60-year-olds and 30-year-olds in the same position. Mm. So knowing what's, what is the task at hand and how relevant is, for instance, age, which is almost never. Mm. And of course, an average 60-year-old yeah. person has other drivers than a 30-year-old. Mm. Well, well, that's all fine as long as they do the job. Makes a lot of sense. 
Peter, that was that was amazing. Is there anything else you'd like to add on the different topics we've discussed? International teams, the advices for hiring managers, or more generally around the treasurer of 2025? Anything else we didn't mention that you'd like to bring up? Uh, no, I think I think we we covered quite a lot. And 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 my suggestion: be honest to yourself and as a treasurer, and keep an eye on what makes you happy. And good, a good treasury job, of course, makes you happy, but there's so much more to, to life. So uh, be honest to yourself. I think that's, that's, you know, that would be it. It's a beautiful, beautiful closing remark, Peter. But we do have one more question for you, uh, which is a bit of a new segment that we ask all of our guests at the end of our episodes now. Where do you see the role of AI in the world of treasury going forward? We haven't really talked about it at all. Do you think it's, how do you think it's going to change the world of treasury? From your professional experience there will be a huge impact and i think the speed is decided upon acceptance uh, as with so uh, with so many developments so uh you can already buy a self-driving car but it's not allowed through all kinds of acceptance through law and everything and i think that's the same with ai in treasury i think ai can do a lot of especially of the standard tasks already but it's not accepted I don't think that group treasurers and the CFOs are willing to give up the wheel. So I think for now, there's a lot of research and experimenting to be done. Also there, I think it's 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 not specific to treasury. What is specific, of course, to treasury is we're talking about money and in treasury teams for large amounts of money. And it always makes things more complex or more important. So I think the thoroughness will be much higher and I think it's exciting times but at the same time it will take a while and 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 if you go back I'm, I'm now 30 years in recruitment and in treasury there already have been quite a few times that that people said okay this is the next exchange and everything will be different and I don't want to sound cynical because I think in 30 years that this might be the biggest one but I don't think if we will meet again in five years in another podcast that uh, that that only 10% remained of treasury and 90% is different. But okay, perhaps. Perhaps has been said. Peter, that's amazing. Thank you so much. If people would like to know more about you, Treasury Search or Treasury Excel, um, where should they go? I think the obvious way to go is, is uh, LinkedIn, of course. Our website, Treasurer Research, is a dreadful word, but Treasurer Search is the name of my company. So we've got our website. Um, LinkedIn is uh, is very prominent in our markets. Post regularly on Treasury Excel, and of course, we'll be at Euro Finance and all the big events at uh, Tel uh, Duct, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, yeah, that would be the obvious way to go. And I suppose we'll have another session in the future. So also Treasury One Hundred and One. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Um, no, perfect. We'll put all the links in the description. Peter, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you. see you next time.